What does it take to get beyond the damage of words? I'm Katrina Collier. Join me each week as I explore what it takes to step into a happier future. My guests are sharing their stories of when they realized that they needed help and what it took to take that first step so that you leave inspired and maybe even start on your own path to self-love, care, compassion, and of course, happiness. So without further ado, let's hear their stories. George Bannister, welcome to Beyond the Damage of Words podcast. You are the fastest guest I've had book. I'm so thrilled. I mean, we just met on the weekend and here you are booked. <laughs> well, so if cool. I always go on the theory, if you're not fast, you're last. So I don't want to be last. Therefore, I'm fast. Absolutely. Absolutely. Actually, it was really cool because you were one of, actually, no, I should say technically we met because I was just about to pull post-it notes off your butt that somehow stopped myself. Um, but because we met at the Hay House UK Writers Workshop. And you were like one of what, a handful of boys in the room? I which think there was, crazy, I was one of five or six token boys out of about 300 people, I think. So, yeah. Yeah, which is crazy. It just shows how many more men need to do this work. Anyway, yep. as I always do with this podcast, I just get straight on with it. What led you into healing? Why did you start working on yourself? What happened? The reason I went into healing, it wasn't a... It certainly wasn't a conscious decision. It wasn't, I woke up one day and went, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to heal myself. Yeah, that'll be my my task for the day. Um, oh, this I was familiar. Yeah, I was, <laughs> was going to say I was led there, but I wasn't even led there. I was dragged there, I think, mm-hmm. through, I suppose the thing that started me off was uh, my background is heavily addiction-based, um, mm-hmm. fair old amount of trauma mixed in along the way. Okay. Um, I, I believe that I had undiagnosed PTSD growing up as a child, only kind of realized, learned that at the age of about 37 when I started, went, oh, hang on a minute. Yeah, I had that. I had that. Rings a bell. Um, Uh... went very heavily into the path of addiction, starting off at, I don't know, 13 with kind of cannabis and onto ecstasy, the rave scene heroin, crack cocaine, prison, all the trauma and stuff that comes with it. And I suppose... The the, num- the numbing got a little out of control. Yeah, why? Well, I, I didn't even see it as numbing. See, I was just having a good time. But oh, right. that, was at a, that was at a conscious level, at a subconscious level. Yeah. It, was, it was kind of numbing, not being able to deal with life, um, mm. all those all those things that we do. So I came into healing. I suppose I came in kicking and screaming, really. Um, I think yeah. the main one would have been when I went into rehab in 2010. And that yeah. was just because I, I literally just couldn't handle life on life's terms. There's, I'd hit so many yeah. rock bottoms that you think, well, this is all right. I can't go any lower. And then, and then lo and behold, you're like, oh, no, I can go lower. Um, so, yeah. I, yeah I, you're I, tempting fate saying that, aren't you? Like, yeah. Hello, universe. I can't go any lower. No, let's show you you can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, no, we'll, we'll now, show you. Can't you. Now you're out yeah. the other end. You can see that at the time. It's, like, horrific. But, yeah. H- hindsight. So was that a tough, like, detox as well? Was it, like, straight um, in, cruel? Or was it, because I read one of your LinkedIn, uh, your Instagram posts, which looked hardcore horrible. Yeah, that, that would have been, that, that um, no, when I went to rehab, that was fairly 
soft and easy because I was essentially then I was addicted to alcohol and ketamine mainly, a bit of cocaine. So it's more of a psychological detox, that one, Um, which once I was in a a safe environment, you know, that was fine. The one you read would have been, that would have been from the 14th January 2005. And that was the day that Mm -hmm. I got um, taken into Exeter prison. And I was in for attempted armed robbery on a post office. And I was doing... I don't know. I was doing a lot of injecting <clears throat> heroin and crack cocaine every day. And at the time and when you went in Yeah, well when when you went in it it varies different times, you know, over the years. When I went in at that stage in 2005 in Exeter, they they were saying cuz we you know, we'd all go in and we'd be like I can't go. Give us, you know, give us a bit of methadone or some subatex or, you know, something to take the edge off. They're like, "No." Yeah. If you had a prescription from your GP on the outside, you're allowed to continue that. But I didn't. So it was that that one was brutal. Um with hindsight, looking back, I'm grateful for that. Mm. At the time, yeah, I definitely was not grateful. Far, far from grateful. But I didn't. I think because it was so hard, it kind of stopped you going into the depths of addiction again. To that point where you'd have to go through that horrific a detox, or am I? Um, I'd say it played a part. I'd. I wouldn't say just that was enough because I'd been through that a number of times before. It was a. If you're a semi-functioning heroin addict, that's just that's like part. This <laughs> is just part of life. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's, that's your yeah, reality yeah. is being ill and uh, yeah, it's, it's horrendous kind of pain. I've, I've um, always been extremely grateful that when I started smoking, I literally had a cigarette and that was it. Like I was so addicted so fast. Yeah. I've always thought, don't ever touch hard drugs. No. Thank goodness, because I do know I'd have been gone. So yeah. I, I can see how it happens, particularly, you know, yeah. I've had the complex PTSD, so it would have been yeah. very easy to go that path. So, yeah. yeah. So it's, then you um, went into, so this is when you stopped drinking then? Um, yeah, so when I went, when you when I went into rehab, that was mm-hmm. the, the difficult one for me, psychologically, was alcohol, because alcohol's socially yeah. acceptable. So things like, I don't know. It's easy to get. Like, yeah. And Isn't well, it's, it's just it's, it's in the supermarket. It's like in this. It's in. It's everywhere. It's well, it's, it's social yeah. lubricant. Do you know what I mean? Like people, it's things are changing a little bit, and the younger generation are slightly different. I'm finding, um, mm. but certainly when I the stopped in 2010, now. it was people would be like, well, "What do you mean you don't drink?" Like. Mm. They, I've had people, I've said, someone said to me, do you want a beer? I said, no, thanks. They say, oh, do you want a vodka? Instead? No, no, I'm good. I don't drink. And I've had people literally physically move back and go, oh, like you've got some infectious yeah. disease. Um, so that mentally. It's crazy, isn't it? I, I stopped in um, 2020 just because I think it was yep. part of the ascension that's going on around the world, really. But, but And I have a neighbor who's kept asking me in for a drink and I'm like, yeah, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Cause I know what their reaction will be like that. If I go, I don't drink. Yeah. I just can't, I just don't want to deal with it. So I'm just like, oh yes, no. sorry, I'm busy. I've got something. Yeah. Yeah. It's awful. That's awful. Yeah. I'm glad that at least for the youngsters, that's changing. That it, there is, yeah, there is change coming through. I meet 
quite a lot of people under 30 who don't drink just for, you know, I don't really enjoy it. It doesn't make me feel great. Um, I'm focusing on my fitness, that sort of thing. But for me, yeah. that was my whole that was my whole lifestyle, like way of being. I was a super sociable person mm. who was out all the time. You can, mm. when you're in the depths of addiction, if you're a if you're a heroin or crack addict, you can imagine a life without it. It's extremely hard to get out of it, but you can imagine you can yeah. you can visualize a reality where you're not injecting heroin every day. If you're a yeah. functioning or semi-functioning alcoholic. The, the thing that people go to straight away is um, a classic one that I used to hear would be someone would be like, well, what, what am I going to do at Christmas? You know, how am I going to celebrate on my birthday? What am I going to do at my daughter's wedding when I go to give her away? And it's like, oh, have you got a daughter? Have you? No, I haven't got a daughter. But if I did, <laughs> do you know what I mean? That's, that's the, the stories yeah. that people tell themselves. It's, it's, yeah, I hear what you're saying. It's funny, isn't it? Because I was just thinking about me dancing around the kitchen, right? As you were saying that, it's like, I don't need alcohol to do that now. But I kind of get yep. the thinking, but at the same time, I don't get the thinking because you don't yeah. need it to have a good time. It's, no. it's like oh, the alcohol makes me have a good time. It's like, no, you have a good time. Yeah. So, so what happened at that point, though, when you say like you went kicking and screaming into, did someone hold a mirror up to you or? Um, I, to start the journey to realizing what was going on. I think when I do, I've done quite a few talks at like schools and things like that. And I always use the term, I was quite fortunate because I had the gift of desperation. So yeah. I had nowhere, I had nowhere else to turn. Do you know what I mean? You, you, when you get to a certain stage, you have, you have three options. They are jails. I could go back to prison. Nice option, believe mm -hmm. it or not, because you, you're safe in there, okay. you get fed, you you have a routine, you get a decent gym. Do you know what I mean? Life's easy. Um, you got in institutions. Okay, I've watched too much bad television, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> I just think jails were safe. Okay, interesting, right? Okay. It, it depends. It depends <laughs> on your perspective. Point of view, my TV watching. Yeah. yeah, yeah you, no, um, I know what you're saying, though. I was, I was going to say go and try option? it, but don't do that. <laughs> uh, institutions. No, no. And I, I'm being a bit flippant, but strangely, <laughs> I thought that would be a terribly unsafe place. So, yeah. Uh, so institutions. And, yeah, institutions, which would be rehab centres, which is where I went, or mental asylums, which I would have been an absolutely banging candidate for at various points in time. Um, so you've got jails, institutions, the third one's death. Kill yourself. When right. you're in that space, okay. that can seem a very um decent option but the thing you don't realize in that moment is that suicide is a permanent problem a permanent solution to a temporary problem and i've unfortunately lost a lot of friends over the years um i've been there myself and had multiple failed suicide attempts and in that in that moment that seems like the perfect solution if i do this all that will go away. Everyone else will be happy. I'll be doing everyone a favor. And it's only with hindsight that you manage mm -hmm. to get out of the darkness and start living in the light a bit that you can look back and reflect and go, actually, I'm bloody glad that didn't happen. Yeah. And, you know, well, if you've I'm, ever been I'm bloody glad as well. Well, I yeah. grew up in the, what I call the ripple of a suicide. So my mother's first husband suicided. I mean, right. she was already a narcissist, but that just tipped her over the edge. And then yep. she married my dad, who never really loved her, and on it goes. So yep. it's like I, on behalf of 
everybody that wasn't in your ripple because that didn't happen. Thank yeah. you for it not happening. <laughs> um, Thank you. It's it's and every time I see that you know somebody's suicide, I'm like, oh, that poor family, because the ripple just yeah. goes on. It goes down generations. It's quite extraordinary. Yeah. So yeah. you you then so you went to rehab. So do, do they have what do they have in there? Counselors, coaches. It, very, it, How do they get you to look at your life and realize that you can change it? Um, I went there. <laughs> the tough questions are going on today, but after the weekend, no, no, no. I know you can cope. <laughs> yeah, I love a tough question. <laughs> um, throw them at me. Give it to me. Um, okay, here we go. <laughs> so, so it depends very much on rehabs are all different. The one I went to. I don't think I haven't got much to base it against, but from conversations I've had with different people, I don't think it's a particularly good one. It shut down shortly after I went there. I think out of the rates are never great for rehabs. Out of like 20 of us there, I think maybe two of us stay clean, but that's fairly common for rehabs, to be honest. They they say your chances of success are about 5%, one in 20. I think that's a bit conservative. I think it's probably not even that high. Um, wow. so they have a process. I went through a 12 step rehab. Uh, I'm not here to promote any particular thing for me that worked well. No, I just um, know what worked for you. It's yeah. yeah. Don't, don't feel like you need to compare just what worked for you. No. Um, I suppose going through the process with a 12 step program, they get you to look at, uh, basically what's been done wrong to you, what you've done wrong admitting to mm-hmm. your mistakes and it's basically it's basically a code for living that I still live yeah. by now like if I make a if I make a mistake I promptly admit it mm. once I've realized I made the mistake yeah. sometimes it takes minutes sometimes weeks sometimes years but sometimes it might take a few years <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> there's probably still a couple sitting out there somewhere um but it's just basically being a decent human being Do you know like making mm. amends I think making amends is quite a big one because most people who've been down that path have done some pretty crappy mm-hmm. stuff. And there's certain amends that I can't make. So there's there's things like financial amends. If you stole something from a shop, you can go into the shop and say, look, I nicked this, here's a five or whatever. That's quite an easy yeah. one to sort out. But for example, with my mum, the amount of mm. stress and angst and uh, all the rest of the crap that I caused over the years there's no way I can undo that I can say sorry till I'm blue in the face but you can't you can't undo it so with things like that I what have to make but surely she must look at you now though in the fact that you've stayed clean that you've turned your life around that you've you know you're making a success of it you're inspiring other people to heal well that's surely what... that's actually yeah, well, that's what I'm coming loves. on to. So you have direct amends, oh, which is <laughs> <laughs> <I've just laughs> giving someone the money. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah in, indirect amends, kind of, kind of behavioural amends. Yeah, yeah, it's where you can't you can't undo the damage. So therefore, mm. you indirectly make amends, and basically, I, I sum it up by not being a twat. Basically, do you know what I mean? If I mm-hmm. act in a decent yeah. way, don't act like an idiot, then by doing that, I am making amends going forward yeah so i think i think that and once you start i became quite a i don't know what's the word um had a certain amount of acknowledgement 
of karma. You know what? What I've seen mm-hmm. it in business. I've seen it in relationships. I've seen it in financially. And you put out good things, and your life will go like that because that's how life goes. But if you keep doing the right thing, walk on the right side of the street, then life can become quite good. <laughs> it turns around. Yeah. Well, was there a like a source of the pain that you had to find and acknowledge to therefore be able to stop the addiction, or is it still with you? Like, how does it? Because I mean, you mentioned obviously there was a was it a one incident PTSD that you were able to deal with, or was it something like mine where it was like that repetitive trauma? So when when I don't know my story, but um, when I was four years old, there was a extremely violent armed robbery at my house. I wasn't directly oh wow okay hurt or anything, but like my dad was beaten up with a baseball bat, knife to my mum, robbed the place like really pretty savage. So I witnessed all of that, but it was the 1980s. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't it wasn't like, oh, you know, he's got ADHD, oh, he's got this, he's got there's there wasn't that pigeonholing. Yeah. It was like, well, the kid seems fine, so that's all right. On we go. And it's only at, like I said, it's when incredibly critical age as well. It's really that yeah. age where you feel responsible for everything as a four-year-old. Yeah. Like my trauma was at three, well, one specific incident. And it's like, I felt responsible for it. You would have felt, even though you weren't, yeah. it would have been like, oh, mum and dad are upset or they're hiding or they're healing or they're hurt. And it's like, it's all my fault. And I yeah. internalize it. That's but, um, huge. Oh my goodness. My And and it was the 80s. We didn't have help. I mean, I was yeah. in the 70s, but it, we didn't have help. No. We didn't have help. Like, no. It was, um, what I... Because like I say, it was only when I heard a talk, at, I did a workshop for Samaritans in 2019. And I heard yeah. this army chaplain talking about PTSD. You know, he's out in Afghan, like picking up the mental pieces from the soldiers coming back in. It's a horrendous job. Oh. And he started describing PTSD. And I was just like, hang on a minute. That he's describing my childhood. Yeah. And one of the interesting things that I knew all the way through my childhood I've got a very clear, vivid recollection of that night. My recollection of events is completely different to what happened. So I've just started writing my book and I open up the opening chapter is the robbery. So my mum's gone through with me in detail, like exactly what happened step by step. And I've got what actually happened and my version of events and they are worlds apart. So I recreated the whole event. And I kind of I believe that oh, till but so will she have so try and get this out one go. She will have as well. So yeah. it's quite interesting because I've been doing a, a thing about like getting the stories because I detached from my trauma through memory loss. So I've had to yeah. like call in my sister and stuff like that. Like help me here. Yeah. But it's how we remember stuff and we do all remember it differently depending on what experiences we'd had at that time. Um and then we change it. Every time we remember it, we change it. Yeah. So it's like she'll have changed it as well. So don't yeah. be too hard on yourself if they're completely different. Um, I'm not yeah. surprised you were four, but it's still interesting if she goes, like really stands firm and you're like, but I really felt this, I really remember this. Well, to me it was, right. it was fine. There was a, to me there was a four-year-old boy stood next to me in my room who I didn't know but I felt quite safe with and he said, um, he said we're going to play a game and you've got to walk across the other side of the room but – watch out for little bits of plastic and we're it's, it's a game and it's a race and I felt quite safe quite yeah. secure 
of course, it wasn't plastic. It was glass from my window that had just been smashed in. So there's glass all over the floor. Yet this little boy was telling me that little boy doesn't exist. Like nobody else has ever seen or heard of this little boy. But I can remember with absolute vivid accuracy how I felt and, you know, everything was fine. And and I just had three guys smash through my bedroom window and jump jump on my bed. Um, So, Mm. yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I'm thinking about what we were talking about before you came on, though, with some of our, our Claire skills that we have. I wonder if at four you were open and something helped you, yeah. whether it had was a past soul or an angel or something. Yeah. I wonder if that's what 100%. actually happens, if that's why you're recollecting it like that. Because it, it gets shut down usually after that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can uh-huh. vaguely... I can't remember any incident in, incidents like that. But We're both I can struggling remember, to speak today. <laughs> yeah, I can remember. I'm not surprised. Um, that weekend was full on intense information, wasn't it? it? Like, it's like yeah. totally, where are we Wednesday? I'm still processing. <laughs> so, um, sorry, I interrupted you yet again. Big shock. No worries. <laughs> I, can, I can remember my cousins at a very young age all taking the mick out of me mm. because I had like imaginary friends. So yeah. and you, there's a lot of children have imaginary friends. And um, mm. I think a lot of that is that openness and they're still connected to something else that's yeah. not necessarily in the visual reality dimension, whatever that we're in. Yeah. They're still connected into something else. Unseen. So that's that's yeah. my Absolutely. thoughts on what happened there. Yeah, so I've written about um, past lives because I've had four past life regressions and yeah. there's evidence. They've interviewed like 3,000 children under a certain age and they yeah. can all perfectly recall their last past life. And it's like, there's yeah. evidence. Like, what more do we need? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So what's your, how's your memoir? Where, what, what's your plan with it? What are you, so you said you started writing. Is that helping you heal as well? Yeah, so in the... It's I've been really told since, I tell you. <laughs> since, since probably my mid-twenties, random people from all different walks of life have come up to me and said, you need to write a book. And I've been like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a writer. Do you know what I mean? I don't enjoy writing. Why would I write a book? Hmm. And then after the, I don't know, 150th person, I was like, do you know what? I'll, I'll just write a book. <laughs> um, in the first instance. I'll, I'll write one page and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. In, in the first instance, I'm writing it for myself the cathartic mm-hmm. exercise of just there's been I believe looking back with hindsight that I've actively sought out trauma my whole life do you know what I mean I've I'm not consciously yeah but subconsciously addiction prison crime um cage fighting jumping out of airplanes surf it just if it's dangerous I'm like oh what's wow. that <laughs> um so that's somehow related to the fact that you just didn't have fear. Or I wonder if that somehow helps numb the fear. I mean, thinking of the crazy stuff you've done <laughs> late, jumping out of planes, etc. I'm wondering if it's, that helps numb that adrenaline rush, helps numb some of that trauma still. It's something about the adrenaline, but I like I grew up flooded with anxiety. I'm not someone who's yeah, of course. like a lot, lot of the guys I train with, they're like they're hard mm. people. Do you know what I mean? They've grown up yeah. fighting their whole life. They're fairly fearless, some of them. They're just mm-hmm. hard. I'm not mm-hmm. hard. I'm soft. Naturally, I'm a very soft person. So I forced myself I <laughs> into those situations. Um, right. Just to 
I think overcome the fear, but there's also something about the adrenaline. It's probably within the addiction pattern. Addicted to. Are you doing something actively for your PTSD? Because I promise you, you can heal it if you have not. Yeah, I haven't done anything. But you can. Like, I know people who have. I've done various things like um, uh, I've done bits of NLP, hypnosis, um, regression stuff. But yeah, day to day, I don't feel that. I think where it affected me most was probably up to the age of about 16. Um, I just burst into floods of tears at the slightest little thing. Um, So, yeah, I just kind of, like I say, it's never been diagnosed or anything like that. It's just what I've pieced pieced together over the years. Try um, inner child work. Because that can be really, really amazing because you can then tap back into that four-year-old and give him all of that love and support that you needed at that moment that you didn't necessarily get because your parents were dealing with everything they were going through and it was the 80s, so we just stiff up the lip to everything. <laughs> yeah, get on with uh, it. Oh, it was the same in Australia. Like it, it's <laughs> yeah. very similar in that. Let's not talk about it. Now everyone's talking about it. Um, yeah, yeah. So it, that could be really amazing because that really, really helped me with the inner child work. Um, so the way Michelle Zelli and I, I write about this explains it, you know, we've got a functional adult who's talking now. The inner teenager, who you've met quite a few times in your life, and then the inner child. So when the inner child feels scared, if the functional adult doesn't step in and provide support, out comes that inner teenager. Ah. And and then that's the one you don't really want to come out because that's the one that's likely to do the addiction and the door slamming and the fighting and the adrenaline and the, whereas actually sometimes it's like, and it's so easy. I mean, there's um, meditation. I mean, obviously the best route is through a therapist to really understand what you're doing or a coach. Um, but there are meditations. I mean, I just sometimes sit and like self-soothe or I just talk to her and say, I've got you because I can feel yep. now. And she's like squirming, sometimes doing somersaults. <laughs> if I'm about to go and do something that's a bit, you know, <laughs> unusual, she's like, wait a minute, what's going on? It's okay, I've got you, mate. I've got you. Yep. It's all good. <laughs> you don't have these <laughs> kind of conversations. It could help. It's just I, I don't understand why there's not more inner child work out there because yeah. everyone I know who's who's had that process is like, oh, that's so good. So could be worth exploring. So what's yep. next in your great empire that you're building? I mean, talk about turning around your life. So you're, you're now coach, is that right? You've got a property yeah. business? I mean, so my background yeah. is um, property development and I've always done yeah. not not mass scale, but I do very bespoke high-end period properties. Uh, I've created oh, two high, high-end holiday lets that pull in a very nice passive income that allow me to go off to Bali through the winter, which I'll be doing next month. And write books. Uh, yep. Um, I do oh, business Bali coaching. So tough. I don't know how you cope with Bali. Honestly, it's rough. You're, you're sweating <laughs> Sorry all day. Sorry about all the Australians in Kuna though. <laughs> well, you know, we've got to put them somewhere. Uh, I, I, I try and avoid Kuta, not for that reason. but Yeah, um, God, so would I. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, I've had a lot of success in a variety of different industries. So holiday lets, uh, manufacturing, Amazing. construction. So I do business coaching, helping. I've got quite a, quite a specific type of client. They need to be extremely driven and just, you know, get on with stuff. As I, I'm not dragging anyone with me. Um, but, yeah, that's, 
that's really interesting because I just love business. I love how businesses work. Yeah. I'm also writing my book, which I learned at the weekend is a teaching memoir. I'd never heard of that teaching term. Teaching memoir. I'd yeah. never heard of it either. No. I was like, oh. <laughs> well, a... At one point, they put up the Pietkas logo. And Judy Pietkas is actually my second cousin, who I found okay. not that long ago. And she said yep. at one point, oh, this sounds a bit like a misery memoir. And I went, uh, no, no. No, <laughs> like, <laughs> here teaching memoir was like, yeah. oh, this is amazing. But yeah. you know, she hasn't been in the publishing game for a little while, so potentially it's a new. I think I feel like they're quite new these teaching yeah. memoirs. So, yeah, quite, no, was, um... I found the word count thing really strange though, because you know they were going on about how few words, and mine is eighty thousand. I'm having to cut it down, and okay. then I'm looking at like this one, and, and this must be ninety thousand, and I will happily sit and read this. This is about complex PTSD. So okay. I'm like, <laughs> why does it have to be so short? <laughs> Very odd. That'd yeah. be the hardest bit is just making something that's 70,000 words. They even yeah. said 50 to 60,000 at one point. You're, yeah, I think, you're at I the beginning. You're probably like, I'm going to get to 10,000 it'll be a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. I was saying that I wrote, I wrote you the first. You wait until you start writing. Well, I've done the first three chapters. I thought it was the first chapter, but then... I realised right. it was about 10,000 words or something. I was like, oh, no, there's actually three different yeah. chapters here. So I can see how it is. Yeah, I think you just got to get it. you just got to get it all out to start off with and then get yeah. that first draft done and then start mm. fine-tuning. And it will be, for me, it will be write everything out, all the stories, and then work out which yeah. ones are relevant and which ones you can pull the teaching out of and which ones will ultimately mm. help other people. Yeah, that's the bit I'm going to go back and just check. I think I think think I lost my core message on the way through. I think I, I yeah. shared. So that I, that was good because I did go up to one of the commissioning editors and check. So for anyone listening who's ready to purchase it, it'll be better. Yeah, <laughs> and slightly shorter. <laughs> yeah, I still feel like it's a rip off. You pay all this money and the book's shorter. I'm like, oh, that's how I look at it. Weirdly, yeah. like it needs to be fatter and have more stories. Yeah, yeah. But yeah I know it's exciting. <laughs> I do. I I did enjoy it, and I think that. Um, just how many people in the room were writing. But one of the big things I took away was like right from the scar, not the wound. Yeah. And I thought that was amazing. You know, when some people got up to speak and they were still crying, I was like, wow, I'm glad I'm writing from the scar. But yeah. That was quite emotional, wasn't it? So, yeah. To watch. It, it was, um, it was, I thought it was really like for me, I know a lot of the people there were readers writers do you know what I mean that's that's what they're about mm. so from my perspective I don't come from that background I'm not a writer do you know what I mean I I don't other than Instagram oh. posts I don't write anything so for me it was yeah. I just found it a really good easy to understand uh really well put together mm. weekend it was um yeah, yeah no, just what I needed really so actually, I think you said healers. I thought you think, yeah, they were, weren't there? There were a lot of healers in the room. But then there were a lot of people with really interesting backgrounds who weren't yeah. and that I didn't expect to be in that specific room, yourself included. Because yep. it was it's very spiritual, isn't it? So but it yeah. was exciting. So well, I can't wait to see it, that's for sure. Um, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, book you to speak about this or you know, just look at your coaching, whatever, where's the best place to find you? Uh, the easiest place at the moment is probably Instagram, and that's georgebannister underscore com. Uh, the other option is my website, which hopefully by the time this is out will be ready, but it's still work in progress at the moment. And that is georgebannister.com. So that's 
all about. Yeah, I saw um, that was a work in progress. It made me chuckle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been easy. a work in progress. They're not easy. It's, it's been a work in progress for, I think it's since August, something like that. So it's about three months. But the problem oh, that's is not so bad. I keep I keep evolving faster than my website copy evolves. So um, I'll kind of get into a new area and I'll be like, no, that needs rewriting and kind of, but it's it's good. It's that transformation process, which that's when which you I call love. in an expert. Like, yeah, yeah. If it's if you're really struggling with it, call an expert in. Oh uh, no, I always, I always work with coaches on everything I I do. So that's that's with experts on the case as well. Oh well, yeah, at yeah, some yeah. Point next year. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, hope, thank hope. you so much for this. Thank Sorry. you very much for inviting just, me. Uh, uh, just saying oh, thank no, you for I inviting mean, me amazing on. And beautiful, open conversation, which is just so lovely. We need more of that, particularly from you boys. We need more yep. of that open conversation. So thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to Beyond the Damage of Words. How brave, how vulnerable. All to inspire listeners like you to take a step or inspire others to take a step. Imagine what healing we could create if we normalize this conversation. So please pass this on and of course subscribe so we can do just that. Until next time, thank you.